to the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. What up, fantasy people? Trav from True North here, and I am live, as always, from Dirty Laundry Studios, and football is back, baby. You can find me on Twitter at TCL14. Check out all the team's content at truenorthffb.com and subscribe to the TNFF Network on YouTube. Uh, That's where you can find us now. We're also on Twitter and Periscope, and we will be loading this up to your favorite podcast platform overnight. Uh, killer episode on tap tonight. I'm super stoked about this one. We're going to do some trend spotting. We've got a new segment called, uh, or it's centered around a new sponsor of ours, which we are extremely excited about. And then we're going to play some uh, this or that rapid fire style. But first, I think uh, I think it would only be right if I introduce tonight's cohort of hooligans, I'm going to call you. Uh, um, this is actually an all-Canadian episode, boys. We are all from the Great White North. And uh, to take a page from our brother Goat District's book, I'm going to give that a big air horn. So uh, super excited to have an all-Canadian episode. I think it's been a few episodes since we had one of those. Uh, so to go around the horn here, fellas, sorry, that's a that's a long intro for you guys to sit and listen through. Um, we got our guy, True North Crew, Will Harris. You can find him at It's Harris Time. He is the founder of the most competitive best ball tournament in Canada, the CNBBCL. He's also one half of the founders of Viridian Global, who is our merchandise partner. What up, Big Willie Style? I see you got a fresh haircut, brother, it looks like. Yeah, man, I had to uh, give up on the headband game. It's been uh, three <laughs> years of headbands and playing with my hair. So I just said, you know what? Damn it. New look. And we uh, we got a fresh cut. We're ready to rock. We're ready for the season. Super pumped to be here. Super pumped to have our uh, two guests on tonight, Matt and Matt. They're going to bring some they're going to bring some heat to guys that uh, I've been thoroughly entertained and, and educated by uh during my uh, time here on the fantasy football world. So I'm super excited for tonight. Yeah, buddy. I, uh, judging by the fanfare that surrounds them, I really hope the headbands aren't dead. Uh, (laughs) um, but if they are, I'll, uh, I'll pour one out. Special occasions. Yeah, right, right. That's your uh, Sunday's best. (laughs) Um, All right. So moving on, we are going to um, down to, I guess, the viewers bottom left there. Uh, The listeners have no clue who's on the bottom left. Um, Somebody that we at True North consider a part of the family. That would be Matt Marchese. You can find him at Matt SN590, and he's working with Sportsnet's The Fan 590, and he's a fantasy football contributor, uh, writer for Sportsnet up here in Canada. Matt, how you doing, brother? It's, uh, um, it's been a minute. Yeah, it has been. I'm uh, happy to be on with you guys. This, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, it's going to be good. We've been trying to get you on one of these epis uh, quite a bit recently, and we, be, we obviously chat all the time, so uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, and then to uh, complete uh, the dual mats that we have going on here and um, somebody else who True North also considers family um, up here in the Great White North, a good buddy of ours, uh, and somebody who knows big families better than uh, anybody as the father of roughly 27. Uh, we've got Matt Donnelly. He is the co-founder of Dynasty Vipers. You can find him at Dingus4 on Twitter. And uh, Matt, I got to say that your your Twitter handle is 100% one of my favorites out there. It's simple. It's beautiful. I love it. How you doing tonight, buddy? 
I'm doing good, and I'm not a big fan of exaggerating, so we'll tell the viewers the truth. I've only <laughs> okay. got 13 children. So, uh, and the other moniker is I am the Canadian yeah. Philip Rivers, right? That's kind of what the, what goes on up here. Uh, I, I'm not as north as you'd think as with that many children. you think the only thing we'd be doing here is uh, uh, reproducing, <laughs> but that's not entirely true. <laughs> it's just the middle of the prairies. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> And I'm sorry, we got we got Matt over here on the other side who's like a professional, and I'm going to totally bring the professionalism of this show down if you're not. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only professional in title here. That's it. That, that's really all we're working with here. In true Canadian fashion, uh, we are all self-deprecating human beings, and it's glorious. <laughs> I love it, boys. I'm, I'm super excited to have you guys on. And yeah, sorry about the exaggeration on the kids there, Matt, but I feel like once you get to a certain point, does it really matter anymore? <laughs> uh, no, we're not. And you think what I, I asked the wife to kind of do some research for me. I, I bet you, because we, we also foster, right? We, we bring in children here and there. And I think we've had close to 70 or 75 kids that have come through our home over the time. So uh, we'll go with 13 because 75 sounds really bad. <laughs> no, that's great. Actually, I got a lot of respect for what you guys do because I actually work in a similar field with uh, with foster parents and uh, and some of their supports. And uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible the impact that people uh, like yourselves have on uh, the kids lives there. Um, but really quick, fellas, we're going to get into it tonight. Like I said, at the top up there, we are going to do some trend spotting. So I'm going to talk about uh, a few players and situations that we saw unfold over the weekend. Like I said, football is back, gentlemen. Um, and so we're going to unfold those and we're going to talk about whether those are trends. Uh, we have, uh, we're super excited. If anybody's following our Twitter account, they know that we have a new sponsorship with Monkey Knife Fight and we are super stoked about that. We're going to, we're going to get into a new segment that's centered around them and some of those prop games you can play over there. Um, and then really quick before we get into it, fellas, I just want to talk a little bit about another one of our sponsors and that would be Expand the Box Score. Expand the Box Score is uh, one of the essential databases out there for um, all sorts of fantasy data they got a really sick database for all sorts of stuff all sorts of things that you can't necessarily find easily elsewhere expand the box score has um we at true north here we dig a lot of stats and a lot of them come from expand the box score we use their nfl and college football bundle which you can get as a package together but they got major league baseball they got the nba they've got uh they got uh, college basketball, I believe, and even uh, minor league baseball, which is incredible. So if you want to go over to expand the box score and dig through some of that data like we do, um, check them out, sign up and use the promo code TrueNorth10 to get 10% off at purchase. Let them know we sent you and you can do a little bit of stat digging just like we do. So uh, we really appreciate our friends over at expand the box score for being um, a faithful sponsor of ours. Uh, Andy Singleton's a great guy doing a lot of great work over there. So we love that partnership. Um, Okay, fellas, I got a bunch of that stuff out of the way and we are going to get into the trend spotting segment. So I'm going to lay out some things. I'm going to throw it to you guys. We're going to talk about whether these things are going to trend. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Bring it. Giddy up, boys. All right. So we're going to start off the hop with last week's Thursday nighter. Um, the Chiefs beat the Texans in a good game. And we're going to kind of zoom into the running back situation. Obviously, that is the hot button topic in Kansas City. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, he had that huge game, huge game in his debut. Um, super, super good for all those people who are drafting him in like the, the mid first round. But I think the big surprise there that we want to monitor is that most of his work came in the run game, gentlemen. All of his fantasy points came as a runner and he only had one target. 
in the entire game, which everybody thought he was going to be a pass catcher. So um, what I want to know from you guys and uh, Dangus, I'm going to go to you first, my man. Um, with that perception as a pass catcher, do you think the the usage stays so skewed towards the run or do you think the, the pass catching volume is going to kind of balance out um, for him to be like a multifaceted weapon in that offense? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to start off and say I'm not the biggest Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fan to begin with. Okay. It, it, it's, for me, it's Cam, it's Cam Akers for me. I planted my flag on him a long time ago. However, what we're not talking about enough is this Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. Mm -hmm. This offensive line does not get the credit it deserves. They added um, assembly here in mm -hmm. the offseason. Uh, the, the Canadian doctor came back to Canada to do some work there, so let's give him a shout. This is the same Cheers, Kansas City offense – the same Kansas City offense that Damian Williams should have won the Super Bowl MVP behind. Mm -hmm. Damian Williams is raw. So Agreed. He can run the ball. Why can they run the ball? Because McCall Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill stretch the defenses. You will see that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will face a lot of six-man boxes as the season goes on, which will dictate a running um, benefit the running game drastically. Can he run? Absolutely. He can make you miss in short spaces. He can pick up 10, 15 yards. He's not going to go for a 70-yard run. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not a burner. Mm -hmm. He will get caught from behind. So let's pump the brakes there. And he will be. they will use him in the pass game, much like Damian Williams. They're not going to change their offense to cater to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire when their offense is so explosive to begin with. And they don't need to change it because what they did last year was effective. And whoever the running back is, is going to have success in the run game because there's only going to be six guys in the box. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I really like what you said about him not breaking those big runs because that was something that I was pretty concerned about was this offense is predicated on space. And so when he gets that space, is he going to be able to break away from those linebackers and safeties? Um, I, I'm not necessarily fully on that board, but I was not only impressed with what he did in tight spaces, but I was pretty impressed with what he did in some of the open spaces as well. Um, so Matt, I'm going to kick it down to you, my man. What do you think there? Do you think he's going to keep getting that heavy carry load? I, I think it was really optimistic what we saw because I don't think that we went into that game thinking that he was going to do all of his damage on the ground. And he ends up playing 67% of the snaps and he has a big day on the ground. He was only targeted in the passing game twice. And, you know, when we look at the damage that those running backs have done, and Dinga said it, like, you would think that there would be some value in a pass catching running back in that offense. And the fact that he put up all those fantasy points without having to do anything in the passing game is really good. I know everybody wants to lean on, well, you know, he couldn't punch it in from two yards out. Okay, that's fine. But he's still going to get those opportunities. The fact that he was given those opportunities gives you some hope that there's even more room to grow here. Mm -hmm. um, I will also say that I wasn't the big Clyde Edwards-Solaire fan. I I'm Somebody said, you know, if the circumstances were the same, would you take Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Jonathan Taylor right now after week one? And I would have taken Jonathan Taylor ahead of him anyway. So I, I think when you look at this Kansas City offense, there's room to grow for Edwards-Alaire. I do agree he's not the most explosive guy, but there were not too many better rookie debuts than that one. Like Kareem Hunt was mm -hmm. a monster a couple of years ago. That one is is up there. Not quite as good, but it's up there. Absolutely. Big Willie style hit me. What do you think of that situation? Choo choo. All aboard the <laughs> CH, Jumping on. CH hype train. And I think that, 
you know, the path was clear when Williams uh, opted out. We all, we saw that CEH jumped about two rounds in, in drafts and, you know, he has the trust and the faith of that organization. You know, Dingus hit it really well that that offensive line looks like they didn't skip a beat and they lost, they lost Tardif, which was the linchpin for their offensive line. And that was really impressive. And, you know, a couple things really resonated with me. I think that he is, isn't this explosive kind of back that, you know, that, uh, that Williams was that could rip open a 80 yard run and, and take it to the house. But he, I don't think he needs to be. He has incredible wiggle. He has this glide and slide across the field that is just, you know, kind of magical to, to watch. And I think that we're just getting started. What, uh, what's really excited about excited for me is that you, everybody else here touched on it is that he established a rushing floor that we didn't expect. So now we have the ceiling when maybe the, um, when the uh, chiefs are coming from behind and they need to, they need those outlet passes to their running back, then we're going to unlock a, an upside in the passing game. So that's really excited. So I think that he's, uh, he's really just getting started and we're just starting to tap into the potential, you know, the goal line thing, I thought it was hilarious. Uh, everybody was kind of sounding off on that on Friday morning and, you know, nobody wants to talk about how the Texans defensive line played mm -hmm. against played against the Chiefs the entire game. J.J. Watt had an incredible game. He stuffed CEH, the, you know, merciless to put up a performance. And I think that that's really overlooked on and overhyped on uh, CEH's goal line ability. I think that, you know, that trust that um, that that the Chiefs had for, uh, for CEH in his debut on the goal line, I think that speaks volume for the player. So I'm super pumped about the fresh Prince of Hilaire. And I think that... <laughs> He's going to be a staple in uh, fantasy lineups for uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, man, that's uh, really, really well put there. I'll be honest, gentlemen, I got to take uh, everybody's taking those week one victory laps this week. Um, I know we're super excited about football and uh, definitely there's a lot of players that have broken our hearts already after that first game with big expectations. But I'm going to flip the script on that. I got to take a bit of a defeat lap for uh, for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if, if you want to call it that. Uh, I wasn't super sold on the carry volume. I wasn't sure that he was going to get, um, you know, in the neighborhood of 200. 25 carries um i was really concerned about that and then as long uh, along with the targets i was concerned um whether patrick mahomes is really going to need to check the ball down because he's got all those guys that can get open down the field and so um i mean i'm going to take the defeat on that carry load because if he starts getting this many carries in a game look out and what you said about the goal line stuff i mean if a guy i'm pretty sure he had like nine red zone carries um and i think if he didn't convert that well in his first game in the nfl with a very little off season if they're going to give him that load he's going to start converting more and more as the season goes along so uh, i think uh, it's wheels up for clyde i actually took a look into some andy reed coaching history fellas um as you can see behind me i am a big fan of big red couldn't uh <laughs> you couldn't tell. tell hey yeah no should i uh should i make it a little bit better or should i get a little bit more birds no, I, here think, or I think there's enough eagle stuff back there i think we're good <laughs> okay I'll, uh, I'll i'll take that i'll take my lumps on that one because it was not a good week for my boys but uh getting back to andy reed there in his uh like 21 years as a head coach he has given a single running back 25 plus carries in only 21 games over that span um 
And with the Chiefs since 2013, he's only done it six times. Uh, three of those were Kareem Hunt. Two of them were Niall Davis. And uh, the other one was Clyde on, on Thursday night. So I think that uh, speaks volumes as far as the, the trust goes. I think to bank on 25 a game is probably a little tough. And you guys might agree there because that's a pretty high number. Um, but if he's getting like 17 to 22 kind of thing, um, yeah, he's going to be a running back one for the season. So uh, Clyde, baby. Don't we don't we worry about him his body type like can he withstand twenty plus t- carries a game I don't think so I, I just don't see it Matt why don't you or Dingus why don't you hit that one uh, I I think he can I think he's built like a bowling ball I think he'll be fine he bounces off contact he knows how to absorb the contact he's not I look at him very similar to that Brian Westbrook almost mm-hmm. build and stuff where I don't think I think because of his elusiveness you don't get that clean shot. We talk about quarterbacks in the same row, RG3s. Why does he not have the success? Because he gets hit. Lamar Jackson can avoid that contact. He does a good job avoiding the contact. It's the same with the running back position. Uh, Maurice Jones Jr., he used to compact himself nice and low and make himself as thick, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to say it as possible. The one thing I'm going to be interested to see how this goes forward is, I talk about this all the time, COVID and the 2011 lockout and how it actually negatively affects the defenses more than the offenses because the defenses don't have the timing and the player speed down because they haven't been able to practice open field tackling. Mm-hmm. Edwards Hilaire can make you miss. He can make the good players miss on a good day to begin with, but if mm-hmm. you put players who haven't practiced tackling, especially in the open field against someone with his elusiveness, it's going to be a problem. So when the game speed catches up, will players then be able to get that clean shot on him? That's what I want to see. Give me three, four weeks before I can make that determination if he's going to be able to withstand um, – mm-hmm the rigors of 25 carries per game. But we've all seen Andy Reid. We talked about Westbrook. We talked about LaShawn McCoy. We talked about Kareem Hunt. He likes to play that new shiny toy out there and give it as many touches off the get-go and see what it can do. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing to that point is um, we talked about the offensive line um, and how they're good if they can keep that intact and the amount of space that this offense is going to give them. I think he can probably keep himself clean and not getting popped in the hole necessarily, which is a place that he excels at in those tight spaces and in being elusive with that. Uh, So yeah, I like that wrap up on Clyde and I I think it's going to be a really good year provided he can stay healthy and uh, like you said, Matt, uh, hold up to all those carries. Um, so fellas, I'm going to move on to the next one. Big Willie style. You're, you're going to kick this one off. Okay. So, uh, we're going to talk about the Nick Chubb Kareem hunt split <laughs> in, uh, in Cleveland. It was not a good day for the Brownies. Chubb had a stinker with under eight points. Kareem hunt was better on the ground than Chubb was as far as the stat sheets go. Um, and he had six targets along with that to Chubb's one target. Uh, so, and Kareem Hunt actually outsnapped Nick Chubb, which was wild. So, Willie, do you think this is kind of like a game script uh, situation where they needed Kareem Hunt, the superior pass catcher, in there, or do you think this might be a trend going forward? Yeah, great, uh, great, great one to start off with. I know that I've got into quite a few debates in, in regards to the Kareem uh, Kareem Hunt Chubb debate. Um, and there's quite, there's already quite a few uh, victory lappers going around on. Yeah, I told you so. Uh, on the yeah, we got one right in this uh, right in this live stream. That yeah, <laughs> you know, I was taking Cream Hunt in the sixth round because I knew that he would out snap Chubb in the in the late first and second. Well, what we saw unfold is a couple of things. The first thing is that the Browns looked absolutely horrible, and the Baltimore Ravens did not miss a beat. 
uh, from from last season. Baltimore looked smooth. You know, they didn't look super impacted by the loss of, uh, you know, a Hall of Favor in, in Yonda on the offensive line. And mm-hmm. that defense looked tuned in and the Browns looked utterly lost. Uh, I say that, you know, um, uh, OBJ looked shitty and Baker looked shittier. That's the only way to put it. I, you know, I thought that there would be a breath of fresh air put into that organization by Stefanski and what he was able to do with Minnesota and what he's done with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins and the, uh, you know, uh, running 12 personnel and, and in the running game. But we saw none of that. We just saw an absolute, and I had to actually sit and watch that entire game with a Browns buddy. And, it was it was painful to watch. <laughs> what I say about the Kareem Hunt Chubb debate is this: now is the time to go out and get Nick Chubb because everybody is down on him. I've seen I've seen crazy deals already going down where people are just throwing throwing their hands up and giving up on on Nick Chubb. This guy is one of the best running backs in the league. There's no doubt about it. He had probably the quietest almost 1400 yard rushing season that we've ever seen in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes to talk about it. He was literally five yards away from winning the rushing title last year. And that was on again, guys, a really shitty Browns team. And I don't see that, you know, I think that Stefanski is a kind of coach that can turn this around, make Baker work, but there's a lot of problems here. You know, Hunt's usage last year too, when you look at it was games was game script dependent. He was in there on passing downs and hurry up offense so that they can get back into games. You also saw Chubb command some games where they were in the lead and they pounded, they let, they let mm-hmm. Chubb pound home games. One thing that I always talk about when we're talking about this Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb uh, role and, and, and kind of debate is he did see Chubb did see a reduced snap share when, when Kareem came in, but it was also game script dependent. That drop isn't as precipitous as people make it out to be. It was about 10% snap share that that they went down. So, um, you know, before Hunt was there, Chubb was averaging at over 70% snap share. And then when Hunt came into the fold, Chubb was around that 60% mark. Who mm-hmm. else has a similar snap share and is the number one running back on their team? Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb's usage and snap share is very, very similar. And I see them as... Um, like like running backs. So people are very concerned about the Hunt situation. I think that, that that Stefanski will use both of them. And now is the time to go out there and 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 throw some offers out for Chubb because the panic is real. People are super, super panicked about Nick Chubb. Um, but for, for people that currently roster him and have him on your team, hold steady. Things will hopefully get better um, in, in Ohio. And for those that don't, I would say get out there and acquire them. This uh, this was this was a really bad start. And you know, as a as a guy that advocated for Austin Hooper and who advocated for Chubb, you know, it was a bad start for the Browns. With that being said, though, there's nothing that makes things right in football like playing the Bengals, and that's up on Thursday night. So hold tight and let's see mm-hmm. what uh, what happens in the Battle of Ohio on Thursday. Yeah, we, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about that game in a couple minutes. And Will, I liked all that you said. Uh, but before I kick it to the other two boys here, I just want to take my three big takeaways from what you said, Will. Um, you said the shitty Browns, which I love because that is a perfect little match. Uh, one other thing was that the Browns also uh, let Chubb pound at home. That was money. I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, and the third big takeaway that is the biggest thing is that fantasy owners or fantasy managers sorry should should go hunt for nick chubb 
I uh, see what I did there, boys. Hunt for Nick Chubb. <laughs> um, just uh, just a regular comedian over here. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Couple of really good plays on words there. And as a dad, I could not uh, I could not pass up the chance to call those out. So I love that. Um, so uh, let's go. It's really tricky having two mats here. I don't know what to go for. So I'm I'm gonna go for Dingus. Uh, what are you What are you thinking about the Hunt and Chubb situation? Are you concerned as an owner, um, or are you kind of staying away, or what's your feelings there? First off, it's week one, people. <laughs> yes. It's week one. Yeah. Pump the brakes. I, I've been saying I'm going to keep going back to this COVID situation, comparing it to the lockout. You've got two new tackles in Cleveland, in Conklin and Jedrick Wells, who they draft as a rookie. Both are going to be fantastic, but it's going to take some time to get that offensive line in sync again. Once they do, that is a fantastic offensive line when you come to think about it, especially the acquisition of Conklin. Chubb is – I'm buying Chubb. I think both you, – you can actually roster and start both of I them. do in a I couple think spots. I Hunt is an excellent – I did this week too. It kind of kicked me in the ass. Yeah. But I think going forward, Hunt is going to be – I think they're going to see equal shares. It's no different than starting Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. Mm-hmm. They're both going to have very specific roles in what they're going to do for the offense. And one will not affect the other as far as touches go. I think they're both in line for 20 touches each. I don't think that's outlandish. And I think they can both give you RB1 numbers any given week, possibly both of them, depending mm-hmm. on how that usage goes. Stefanski is a smart man. He knows how to use the running game. We've seen what he did with Delvin Cook and Alexander Madison in Minnesota. And I envision that to be a very similar situation in Cleveland. Um, I, I definitely blame the whole Odell uh, Beckham uh, social media uh, <laughs> talking about shady browns on this loss <laughs> so yeah see i'm trying to be professional here and by the way anytime there's a positive comment towards matt in the chat here i'm just going to assume it's me just that's what i feel better i gotta say that um i would love to hear you know uh dingus and and matt and and trav i mean what'd you think of wills i mean that guy is a beast I think that it's when he develops the season, he that offensive line and and two, I mean, I that corollary, that Tennessee corollary now with Conklin in the mix and Derrick Henry um, blocking for blocking for Chubb. I think that this offensive line will only get better, and I love what I saw out of Wills in Week One. Totally, man. Baker had some time back there, and he was running around, being trying to be like a little bit of a jitterbug, trying to wait for the perfect throw, and like, dude, just let the ball go, man. Just Why let the they ball f- go? The other thing, because again, I had to watch it, is why were they forcing the ball to OBJ? Well, I can see that. I'm on a different side in thinking <laughs> that OBJ is still an elite talent. I think it's just um, a little bit of quarterback situation. And and uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what's what's wrong there, but I still, still think he has that talent and I think he can put up that big year. But um, I might, might just be on a bit of a different side than you on that one. But um, the Whoa. offense just didn't look good, man. I think he's clearly the number two wide receiver on the Browns. That's fair. Uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is I, a punny pod, boys. Guys, guys, I look at I look at this situation, and uh, listen, Nick Chubb is is very talented, and I'm not going to take that away from him. But let's not forget that Kareem Hunt was the best running back in the NFL before he got suspended. I don't think that there's any question about that, and. And when I look at the correlation from what Stefanski had in Minnesota to what he has now, Kareem Hunt is his Dalvin Cook. 
That's how I look at it because right. I look at those two guys as very similar. And that's not to take anything away from Nick Chubb because I think he's going to have a great season. Mm-hmm. But whenever I look at those two, and I, and I said it, if it if the roles were reversed, Kareem Hunt would be going higher in drafts than Nick Chubb. It's not even a question. If Hunt was there first and Chubb came after in a similar situation, you would be drafting Kareem Hunt way higher than you would be drafting Nick Chubb if the roles were reversed. Kareem Hunt would be Fair. a top three pick. Nick mm-hmm. Chubb would be, what did he go? Like, you know, he's around the turn. So maybe mm-hmm. 10 to 13. So in terms of talent, Kareem Hunt offers you more. So he's he should be on the field more. And I, I understand what Will was saying about, about game script and last year. Different coaching staff. I agree the offensive line is going to get better. But I don't know. I, I'm... I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that Nick Chubb is going to be the guy that's going to get more work. I, I just, I just look at it like Kareem Hunt had nine first down carries to Nick Chubb seven, and maybe mm-hmm. that's insignificant right now. And and I understand what Dingus is saying. It is week one, and we're all gonna we take our wins when we can. But I'm, I I do believe that you can start both guys every week. I would be comfortable yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. But to I I don't think that Nick Chubb's the lead guy. And, and that may be hot takey after week one, but I think it's Kareem Hunt because I think he's the better running back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one to see play out just because there is just so much talent between those two guys. Uh, I love how you talked about the Vikings corollary with St- Stefanski there because last year with those two running backs, like Alex Madison was still top 20 in red zone carries. So there was plenty of opportunity to be had for both backs in, uh, in Minnesota last year. So I think it's going to kind of shake out as kind of a, maybe like a uh, 60 to 65 to 40 to 35 split as far as carries, but I think the targets are going to be heavily in Kareem Hunt's favor. It was really weird, actually, because one thing that we were looking for was um, Kareem Hunt to be split out into the slot and used out that way, but Kareem Hunt actually only was split out on four of his 32 snaps, and Nick Chubb was split out on eight of his 27 snaps. He was either in the slot or out wide, so uh, really kind of backwards usage if you ask me um but i i totally agree with you guys that we can probably start both of those guys every week just we got to be prepared for one of them to put up a not so stellar game right okay fellas okay Okay, Okay, you're right you know what i I fully expect a lot of my players that i roster to put up poor games a lot of the time so for one of them not to perform, I, I call that a victory if one of them actually is performing. But no, we talked about one is definitely a flex option. One is definitely an RB1, RB2 range, depending on how you want to look at it. They've both got their value. They both can be started. And I think they're both going to get better as the season goes on as far as production goes. Absolutely. But um, Matt hit it on the head here. If we did a draft right now, or even trade value, if you're going out to trade for one of these two running backs, you're probably paying more to acquire Hunt right now after week one. Totally. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So definitely a buy opportunity to be had because I still think Nick Chubb is an elite runner in this league. And Kareem Hunt did get that two-year contract, uh, which definitely was to the chagrin of people who held him in Dynasty, hoping for him to move on next year and take somebody's full workload. But uh, definitely still some value to be had there. Gentlemen, so I'm slowly realizing that this segment of trend spotting is uh, strictly running backs. (laughs) 
just running backs. I got all running backs on the what show else, sheet. Trav, what else matters, man? Does that That's true. matter? That's true, Seriously. man. I, yeah, if I could have a team full of running backs and just play them all in the flex, uh, which is a possibility, but that is a wild league format, uh, I would do that because running backs are just so much fun. They're super sexy and uh, there's a lot of unpredictability. So when you hit on those guys, it just feels pretty boss. Um, so the next guy we're going to go to is one of True North's favorite the Dob Goblin, J.K. Dobbins, and his immediate role in Baltimore, which was not necessarily expected. Mark Ingram, been the lead dog, big, big trust, big trust out by the bank. Um, and then J.K. Dobbins comes in and has a really decent role. I mean, seven carries, 22 yards. Not writing home to mom about that, but two tutters was really nice. High leverage work in the red zone. Um, not a ton of targets to go around for running backs, as we know in Baltimore. Uh, but Willie, let's start with you on Motam. Are these guys gonna are these guys gonna eat into each other all season, or are we gonna see one of them emerge as the lead guy, or um, are they both gonna get a role and both produce? Well, the one thing that I can definitely tell you is that Justice Hill is not a thing. He is done in Baltimore, <laughs> so. Just to clear that up for anybody else that uh, still cares about uh, Justice Hill, that was completely confirmed in week one. <laughs> this was a this um, this Dobbins usage in week one was a complete shock to me. I thought that they would revert back to what they did so well last year, as they get up on a lead and they let Big Trust and uh, Gus the Bus just pound the game home. But what we saw was. Dobbins come in and be absolutely dominant when handed the ball and he looked like a force to be reckoned with and two touchdowns in your uh, in your first game in the NFL is, is pretty impressive to be completely frank I do not know what to expect I did not expect that usage of uh, Dobbins in week one I don't think that uh, many of us did I think a lot of us love the talent. We love that profile. We love what he was able to do in, in college. And that landing spot was probably one of the best landing spots for any rookie in the draft. That he was able to get that usage, that Dobbins was able to get that usage in week one, complete complete shocker. You know, as somebody that was advocating for Ingram in the, you know, fifth, sixth round as a really solid uh, running back that could flirt with that RB1 numbers on weeks, it's, it's pretty scary for people that held out at running back and, you know, kind of went w, WR heavy or tight end heavy early in, in drafts, relying on that role that Mark Ingram thought thought we thought would be served. For those of us that have Dobbins on the roster, you got to be super excited that you, we can start slotting him in in the flex almost almost immediately. What happens in, in week two and beyond, you know, maybe a lot of this is just keeping Ingram fresh. They're going to give him those high value touches in meaningful games. Could be that, or they run with Dobbins because they like what they saw in week one. For me, I don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. And you and I actually did that in uh, in the analyst division of the uh, FF chat discord. Um, we just we were we were hitting value at wide receiver and we took Mark Ingram as our running back too. And uh, week one was not a good week for that team. I'll tell do you we that. Make, we had do we, do we make it over 50 points? I don't think so. We got uh, Jordan Howard, Nick Chubb, and Mark Ingram as our starting three Ooh. running backs. But so we no, but we had we had Robbie good. Anderson and Darius Slayton on the bench, right? Uh, yeah, on our bench. Yeah, so that was great. So that was really really great. Um, so uh, Matt, why don't you let us know what you think of the of the situation in Baltimore? It's a tricky one, but it's a sexy one. So I want to say I don't. 
listen, I, I think you, like I said, you take your wins where you can get your wins. So in my, my first piece for, for sportsnet.ca, I wrote about guys that were going to underperform their ADP and Mark Ingram was getting drafted as RB 20. And I thought that that was way too high. Um, he only handled 52% of his team's carries last year with a way less talented Gus Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, JK Dobbins has, he has draft capital. They're going to use him. It's only a matter of time before he starts getting 14 carries a game and maybe a few catches here and there. Mark Ingram's always been productive. He's just, he's on the wrong side of 30. Um, he's been fairly healthy uh, over the span of his career, which I think was a surprise to some. But I think we're seeing the time is starting to catch up to him a little bit in that it just they want to go with the younger back. They took him where they did for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that Mark Ingram is going to be totally useless because he is going to have a role. But my only concern is if J.K. Dobbins is getting those touches inside the five or inside the 10, what exactly is Mark Ingram's value? Because they don't throw the ball a lot to running backs. And J.K. Dobbins mm-hmm. is the more he's the he's the more talented pass catcher out of the two. And let's not forget that Gus Edwards still had a role. It, it wasn't a big one, but he still had a role late in the game. So I'm with Will. I, I really don't know what to expect. The one thing I will say is that if Dobbins is getting those touches inside the five, you're in the right offense because there's going to be plenty of them. So uh, I was really happy as someone as someone who has Dobbins in uh, in Dynasty and, and in another couple of leagues. I was thrilled with what I saw. I you'd like to see more. I'd like to see more than seven carries, but mm-hmm. he certainly made the most of the seven carries that he had. I think we're going to see a lot of games where the Ravens are up, and we're going to see a lot of Dobbins and Edwards to close things out because Will made the point. They may want to keep Ingram fresh. It's not like he's a bad running back. Like I don't want this to sound like he's not talented or he's not going to be useful because he's both of those things. In my opinion, he's just not as good as J.K. Dobbins is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, they showed us last year that they won a multiple back set with their usage of Gus Edwards. I'm on the side where I do think both Ingram, I mean, it's it's week one, gentlemen. <laughs> so uh, I'm not ready to uh, sell off Ingram that fast. I mean, the guy last year was top 10 in red zone carries and Gus Edwards still had 20 red zone carries himself. Uh, kind of similar to the Madison Cook si- situation a little bit where they both had enough opportunity to eat. Gus just did not convert very well. So I'm of the mind that Gus is going to be uh, kind of the, the forgotten guy. He did get four totes in the game, but it, it is definitely interesting when he got those. Um, so I think Gus is going to start to go by the wayside a little bit. I think Ingram can get back to some of that 2019 efficiency. Um, and then I think Dobbins is going to have enough role alongside him to eat. But um, it Dobbins is good enough that he could take that over. It's just well whether the, the Ravens are ready to to um, allow Mark Ingram, who has been great for them since they got him, to kind of take a backseat to the new toy in the Dob Goblin. Uh, Dingus, where are you sitting with Baltimore? Uh, prior to the season, I really envisioned this offense to be a lot like how the Saints used Ingram and Camaro when he came in. Uh, I, Dobbins does compare fairly uh, reasonably to Camara, what they do and their gifts they do with pass catching with the running ability. But like Matt said, when you see Ingram not get those goal line touches, it kind of put up a little bit of a red flag for me. And let's not forget, Gus the Bus Edwards is still there. And if I'm not mistaken, if you put Gus with Ingram, with Dobbins, I'm pretty sure Gus still had more yards per carry too. So Mm -hmm. 
Gus Edwards is that running back that nobody wants to talk about, no one wants to admit, no one wants to even think he's going to have a role in this offense, but every year he consistently has more yards per carry than any of the other backs on our roster. So Gus Edwards will have a role, and I do like how you guys mentioned that this is a team that is poised for a deep run. We've seen this year more than any year. I hate coming back to the COVID, but you never know. There's so much uncertainty about players and a position. So why not get Dobbins a 50-50 share of Ingram? Because any minute Ingram can come down for COVID. Any minute Dobbins can come down. Any minute Gus Edwards can come down. So the more guys you get into this, more repetitions, more uh, game action, the more prepared your team's going to be, especially if you're a team that's in that situation to make a push for the Super Bowl. And I think we can all admit that the Ravens are no worse than a 12-win team this year. I think that's pretty much a guarantee. Mm -hmm. And by watching the rest of this division, Cincinnati, we've seen Cleveland against them. Pittsburgh did not look like world beaters because they don't even have James Conner. It's the bet. It's the they got the Snell Cal running the ball right now. So <laughs> there's there's going to be concerns in that division. I I think Baltimore's in the in cruise control right now, how it stands. And why not use all three running backs and save some mileage on them? Yeah, that's a that's a great point because there is not a smarter organization in football than the Ravens. They continually continue to take value in the draft. They will stockpile players at a position that we think that they're, they're set at. And we, we saw it again with them grabbing Dobbins when they could this year. And they're going, they're going to use them accordingly. And they're, they're set again for a very deep playoff run. And I, you know, and it seems that the team as well is bought in, right? Like we, we see it across the board in Baltimore. Everybody is there to for for one reason, it seems. And hey, if that, uh, I'm sure the big trust, you know, he would he would like nothing more than to than to get a ring in Baltimore. And if that means uh, Dobbins spelling him off so that he can have those high value touches later on in the season, bring it. Yeah, man, he uh, did that. He did Ravens. that with AK, right? He did that in New Orleans with the Saints uh, when Kamar came along. He realized, hey, I got a roller play here. Um, I'm not going to be selfish. I like that about him. And this, this isn't Aussie's team anymore, but you think about, we talk about the Kevin Bacon relations with how uh, things go. If you took look, look at how they degrees. got Dobbins, the 10 degrees of Kevin Bacon, this is the 10 degrees of J.K. Dobbins here, <laughs> right? So New England traded their second-round pick to Atlanta for Mohamed Sanu last year. Mm -hmm. Atlanta then traded that second-round pick to Baltimore for Hayden Hurst. Baltimore used that pick for J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins should be a New England Patriot where they could probably use a running back right now. So that's how smart the Ravens are. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That was uh, some uh, some mind-blowing shit there, Dingus. I love you putting that web together. I dig it. Um, okay, gentlemen, we're going to move on to the last uh, last player we're going to talk about in trend spotting here. Uh, this is one now. This is a guy that I faded a little bit coming into the season. No victory laps here because, after all, it is week one. Um, and the usage was surprising, and it could be good surprising if there was some more uh, efficiency. And that would be Austin Eckler. Uh, very similar to Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Austin Eckler had 19 carries in uh, in week one. Austin Eckler only had one target, gentlemen. What in the hell is going on there? Is it like a Tyrod Taylor thing? Is it uh, like like what what's happening there where he only got one target? Because even I, who was fading him, did not think that he was going to get uh, such a low target volume. So why don't we go to uh, Matt Marchese over there? Why don't you start us off with Austin Eckler? I'm glad that you started me off here because I, I was I shouldn't have been surprised at 
what we saw. Tyrod Taylor only threw to the running backs th- on 3% of his throws. Three, not 13, not 33. And I was looking back to see if this was something that I should be aware of. And I should be as a Bills fan. He didn't throw the ball to running backs all that much. The most Mm -hmm. ever targets that he had with the Bills to a running back was Shady McCoy in 2017. And that's only because the next two guys that caught that caught passes from him were Charles Clay and Zay Jones. So McCoy had 77 that year. And the next two guys had 74 before that. Nobody had more than than 55 targets Mm -hmm. from Tyrod Taylor as a running back. So that's a problem. The other thing that I didn't really love was that Joshua Kelly had four red zone carries to Eckler's three. Mm -hmm. And Kelly still had 12 carries. And I'm not saying that that Austin Eckler is going to be useless this year, but it's something that we need to watch because he's not a bell cow running back. They never thought of him that way. It's why they still had Justin Jackson on the roster. It's why they drafted Joshua Kelly because Anthony Lynn wants two running backs that can tote the ball, two guys that can get involved in the pass game. If necessary, that's just not Tyrod Taylor's game. So, Joshua Kelly's going to eat into this workload a little bit. He is their Melvin Gordon to Austin Eckler. That's what we're seeing here. And he's going to have value. Um, and if he's getting the red zone carries, like if it's an even split, that's going to take a hit for Eckler because we expected Eckler. I, I think we can all say that going into this season, that if he had less than 10 touchdowns receiving and rushing, that that was a disappointment. And we may very well see him right around the 10 number. And we were probably expecting closer to 15. So that's a huge hit for him. And, in that, it was a close game, so maybe maybe we'll see the Chargers play, you know, from behind in a few games. And if we do, then we'll see Eckler's value, you know, go up because Kelly doesn't catch the ball as well as he does. But there's a little bit of concern here, especially as the season goes. If Kelly got 12 touches or 12 carries already, mm-hmm. what's going to happen if he gets better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the mention of Josh Kelly. He is a friend of True North uh, and one of my favorite waiver wire pickups this week. Uh, we love Josh Kelly up here, and it was super exciting to see him have that game. And yeah, that was music to my ears, man. That was all the reasons that I was fading him. The exact Tyrod Taylor stats that you had is some of the stuff that I was digging up. Uh, and then just looking at the fact that like if he's going to get all those touchdowns last year, he had a record as far as running back receiving touchdowns with eight, and we cannot expect that anymore. So he's going to need like eight rushing touchdowns this season in order to have any sort of increase on the touchdown totals that he had last season. So that was music to my ears, Matt. Uh, So big Willie style. I want you to break down that situation there and let me know what you think about the chargers backfield. And then dingus when, uh, when big Willie style is done, I want you to just fire right away, my man. Yeah, I'm glad that we uh, we had Matt kick it off as uh, he probably knows Ty God better than better than any of us. Got to watch him up close and personal and and you know saw that saw that usage with, you know, one of the best receiving backs that we've seen in 20 years in in Shady McCoy. I I got to say that um the game script and what happened week 1 for the Chargers was a bit surprising. I thought that, you know what, uh, a weak Bengals uh front seven that they would be able to really take advantage of that. I know that the the Bengals actually have a pretty sneaky secondary and uh, they, you know, they were one of the, one of the better ones in the league last year. Not a lot of people talk about that, but that game, I, I watched about a quarter of it and it was a snooze fest. It was super slow pace. And, you know, a lot of the things that I thought that, uh, that, 
that Tyrod would be doing, using his legs, maybe getting some more outlet passes to Eckler, unlocking that ability that Eckler has because the talent is there. I don't think that we can deny that. It's just, is he going to get the usage and is he going to get the valuable touches that we saw him get with Rivers last year? And, you know, if week one is any indication, which again, let's temper expectations and and temper results. It's not a, hey, we've got a board on everything that's Austin Eckler because we know that the talent is there and talent, for me, a lot of times trumps a lot, uh, a lot of different situations. So hold Eckler, don't panic. But it was super, super scary overall to see that target distribution. You know, you get Mike Williams with nine targets. You get Hunter Henry and uh, and Keenan Allen with eight as well. And then that one lonely touch for um, for Eckler. Not a, not a great sign in the receiving game where we know Eckler kind of, you know, puts on the turbo jets and, you know, set an NFL record in the amount of receiving touchdowns from a running back. That That is a concern to me. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, though, watching smooth play a um, pound home a touchdown and, and get some valuable touches, I was super, super excited about. I think that this is going to be a really good football team that's going to win close games. It's this is a team that might quietly make a make a Super Bowl push, you know, um, before the uh, before the injury on on defense. I thought that they were poised to be one of the best defenses in the in the league again very quietly nobody's talking about the addition of chris harris so how they're how they're winning games is going to probably be different than how they did it under rivers and they're probably a little bit thankful to have old tyrod under center as opposed to philip rivers we saw philip rivers just absolutely implode in uh in india against against jacksonville so this is going to be a different style of chargers and there's going to be a bit of a an adjustment period i think to really understand what the Chargers are on offense. And 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 mm. and I think it's a wait and see. Don't panic. Yeah, good points, man. Good point. Dingus. First off, Rivers did not Rivers did not implode. <laughs> he simply felt the presence of Gardner <laughs> Minshew behind him. Okay. That'll do it to the best of four. He beat COVID in like three on. days, man. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew behind you will yeah. make anybody shake in their boots. <laughs> or in front of you, exactly. or beside you. Yeah. Then, wherever he's coming from. This, this Chargers offense, this no. shouldn't surprise anyone. This is the Chargers offense. First off, let's go back to Tyrod Taylor. This Actually, let me back this up. This offense won't become the offense you want it to become until Justin Herbert's behind center, which is coming sooner than later because Tyrod Taylor couldn't even hold off Baker Mayfield, and we've seen what he's looked like the last two <laughs> seasons, minus that one good year. Burn. Right? He couldn't hold that starting job down. Tyrod Taylor is – the guy or the girl that you date because it's safe. He's not <laughs> doing nothing special. The one you, you settle know, for. You know, you want someone to, you know, bring to your parents that so you can hold their hand and this and that. He ain't going to get into no freaky shit. It ain't going to be his style. He's going to dump and dink the ball all over the place. The targets you saw between Hunter Henry and uh, Keenan Allen were intermediate targets. He took some deep shots with Mike Williams, but those are really 50-50 balls that Mike Williams made plays on. Let's call the way. And Mike Williams had to make some insane adjustments on that ball in the air. Austin Eckler was never going to get more than 18 to 20 touches. It was never going to happen. That is his role. Now, I thought maybe he'd get some more passes out of the deal and get some receptions out of the deal, so that little bit of surprise me. Josh Kelly came in to play the Melvin Gordon role. That's why they drafted him. He's got the better draft capital, and he's a better running back than Justin Jackson, even though Justin Jackson – performed well for Northwestern, had some pretty amazing stats. 
He's just undersized. Joshua Kelly is that banger. There's no doubt about it. He is their goal line back. But it is a little bit of a concern that Eckler's not used in the passing game. But with Tyrod Taylor, this team is not going to get into a shootout. So they're going to be probably trailing a good chunk of time. And game script is going to lean a little more towards Eckler in the games against even the Chiefs, right? You're going to see Eckler get way more mm-hmm. involved. But bottom line is, when it comes within the five-yard line, that's Joshua Kelly time, just like it was Melvin Gordon time. And that will not change. So really, Smooth play, JK. Smooth yeah, play, JK. Super, super good points, Dingus. My my question, and I've had this debate a, a bunch of times, is if if Tyrod's keeping them in games, their defense are making plays, you know, they're they're close, tight margin games. Will we see Herbert in year one? I think we're gonna see him at some point in year one. Um, but it's hard, man. I think that defense is still good enough to keep them in games personally. Uh, and I think that bodes well for Tyrod, unfortunately, because Tyrod, just like Matt said, he's safe. Like he's not hitting it from the back, but he's not going to make a ton of mistakes. If you know what I'm saying? Uh, like, I mean, Gardner, Gardner is into that freaky shit. You know what I'm saying? But he's got a swing right there on the bus. He says, Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But so, you know what? Justin yeah. Herbert was hurt by the short offseason. And there's no doubt about it. I think if they would have had a real training camp and nice. he would have been able to get in there, I think he would have beat Tyrod Taylor out from the get go. So it's only a matter of time before Herbert beats out Taylor. Unless like they're right in a lot of games and say the Chargers, for some unknown reason, are six and three. Maybe mm-hmm. Taylor can keep his job then. But if they're mm-hmm. battling around 500, Herbert's coming in. He's got the better arm. He's more mobile. He's more mobile, I think, than even Taylor. Taylor's a pretty mobile quarterback. Justin Herbert is kind of a freak athlete in, in, mm-hmm. in his own right, and he's got some weapons to play with. So this somebody, offense will get better. Somebody made the point to me. We we're having a discussion about Justin Herbert because he's a huge Justin Herbert fan. Um, and the point was, if Justin Herbert had had gotten drafted the year before last, he would have been a top three pick. Yeah, there was no question about it. He may have been the first overall pick. So you look at you look at that information. The guy has talent, and this team is not put together for Tyrod Taylor. Like Mike Williams is there. Mike Williams is very effective when he's playing. Keenan Allen's a great receiver. Hunter Henry's great. Tyrod Taylor isn't the guy for this team. So I think at the slightest slip that mm-hmm. we see Tyrod Taylor, I do not think that they will hesitate to put Justin Herbert in there. He's learning. He will be the guy before season's end, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget, we've got two other rookies there right now who are very quarterback friendly in KJ Hill and Joe nice. Reed. These yeah. are guys that can make it, especially a young quarterback, look good. KJ Hill is not a burner by any stretch, but he's one of the most refined route runners. He's probably right up there with Jerry Judy when it comes to route running ability. Nice. And that's a very, and he'll be the intermediate guy. So they've got some options for Herbert. They built this team for Herbert. There's no doubt about it. Hey, uh, Matt, doesn't. Uh... Marchese, doesn't uh, Herbert remind you of a certain quarterback that's uh, near and dear to your heart? You know, I thought about that. And to me, I you're going to put me on the spot here because you know how much I love, I love I, my I, boy Josh I, Allen. I love but, him too, man. I do. 
I think I think that when you look at Herbert's passing numbers, they were he was a better college quarterback than than Josh Allen. I think we could safely say that. I look at Josh Allen and he's only going to get better because he never got the reps that a lot of these guys did. He played other sports besides football, so he didn't get nearly the same amount of reps through college and and high school that these other guys did. But Herbert has that ability. Like he he's he's more elusive than people think. Mm-hmm. I actually think that Herbert is more like a Carson Wentz. To be honest with you, whereas I look at at Allen as more of like a Cam Newton light type, right? So I think, but it's close though. It's close. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think Herbert's going to be a little bit less of a wild man back there, and I love that about Josh Allen. Don't get me wrong; he is like a, a gunslinging wild man running around there trying to find open guys. And I think Josh Allen's probably a little bit better runner because I think he's a little thicker. Um, I think he's got a little bit more strength than Justin Herbert will. I think Justin Herbert might be a little bit more of like a slippery runner with that lanky frame of his. Um, and I think he's going to be a better passer. To be honest, I think he will be really good for Mike Williams in particular when Justin Herbert gets it's in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like those points guys, because, uh, Dingus, you were talking about the lack of off season. Um, I'm totally with you that he could have beat out Tyrod Taylor if he had some more time in that offense. Um, so that was, that was really well put for the chargers quarterback situation for sure. And one more little quick thing or the Oregon offense there didn't ask Herbert to do anything special either. They did not utilize his talents as well as they should have been college. Mm-hmm. So he does have some catching up to do for the pro level. Yeah, good point, man. Good point. I think uh, I think we wrapped up the Chargers situation pretty good. Um, fair to say that we all expect more targets for Austin Eckler, um, but we're not necessarily expecting 100% that top 10 season that a lot of people were thinking coming into the season. Uh, so thank you for that, gentlemen. Um, it, it's funny because when we're doing our drafts, Eckler's kind of going in that same range as running backs as Josh Jacobs, mm-hmm. Miles Sanders, Nick Chubb, and Joe Mixon. I got blasted when I took Josh Jacobs at 109 in one of the drafts. And let's be honest, I'm a Raiders homer. So it, it was going to happen one way or the other. But, you know, Eckler's he was in that conversation. And I just did not understand why he was in that conversation. I think a lot of people misinterpreted the situation where he was going to get his touches plus Melvin Gordon's. And that was never going to be happening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said. I think that's a good way to end the Austin Eckler talk, gentlemen, because you nailed that one. And that concludes part one of this episode with Will, Matt, and Matt. Make sure you go check out part two where we're going to get into a new segment featuring our newest sponsor, Monkey Knife Fight. And after that, we're going to talk about some groups of teammates and we are going to go through and tell you who we want going forward the rest of the season. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Go check out the True North team's work at truenorthffb.com. Connect with us on Twitter at truenorthffb and make sure you hit the uh, YouTube channel at TNFF Network. Really appreciate it. Make sure you check out part two. Thanks, guys. Peace.